Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the developer behind the AI assistant Apple Watch app, Petey. Hide Vandeplu. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. I see you nodding. Was that close enough to the right pronunciation? <laughs> it, was, it, was a good, it was a good pronunciation. Oh, that makes me happy. Do you want to say it? Can you say how you correctly pronounce it? Yeah, I will. I will. It's Hide van der Okay, thank you. That way I don't feel responsible for ruining everybody's how they read your name on Twitter or Mastodon with the horrible Americanized version. Thank you for coming. This is I'm really excited. We we got to hang out last year at WWDC, which is really cool. Also, I feel like I'm getting a couple like I'm checking like a bunch of boxes with this uh, episode. So, we have had an episode on the generative AI transformer world uh with the with Ronnie with the AI art, but we haven't done anything with ChatGPT yet. And then right. I think this is the first I should probably go back and double check this, but I think this is the first standalone apple watch app which i know isn't technically true anymore but at the end of the day pd is an apple watch app that kind of then came to the iphone <laughs> so i feel like there's a bunch of uh different angles here that we haven't was, really gotten to yeah, talk about yeah. on the show we'll be the first circular app i can then <laughs> yeah oh oh that's a good point i should i should do that shouldn't i that will be <laughs> kind of fun <laughs> i should definitely do that <laughs> no, but this is this is this is going to be really exciting. So uh, I'm happy to get into this. But before we do, uh, I want to give everybody an introduction into who you are um, and your kind of plethora of apps, uh, kind of leading up to PD. So the question I always ask uh, to get things started is, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then we can talk about your career that kind of led you up to PD. Yeah, cool. Um, originally, I'm from a smaller town of north of the Netherlands called Leeuwarden. Um, but I've been calling Amsterdam uh, my home for about 12 or 13 years now. So uh, most most likely I'll answer that with Amsterdam, <laughs> uh, which is in the Netherlands, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, and regarding education, uh, development-wise, I would say no. I have a design background. Um, I've went to uh, a media design school, uh, which I dropped out to, uh, I guess this is also <laughs> straight away, a lead way to the career <laughs> part, because uh, I dropped out of school um, to join an agency that was really focused on apps and uh, mobile uh, in general. So okay. um, I've been working as a product designer uh, for most of my career. Um, and then I think during this career, I've always figured out, like, I found it so magical to hand over my design to a developer and to get it to work on an actual device. So I, I started off with a classical, uh, how hard can it be to do this <laughs> approach? <laughs> um, and so after, I think, as spending over a decade working as a designer, I started doing some freelance design work and uh, slowly picked up development as I went and slowly balanced my time more and more between my own apps and uh, design freelancing. And uh, now I would say I'm full-time indie developer. How did, you, how did you get started building them yourself? Like, had you done any programming at all? Some basic web programming, I would say. Um, and I first started following some tutorials on object uh, in Objective C, but I was very fast. Like, nope, this is uh, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely not uh, uh, introdu uh, like coming into this programmer world friendly. Um, Objective C. <laughs> no, no. So right away, I, I jumped back into my sketch instead. And I think around when Swift was announced, then I was like, okay, let's just really do this. Um, I saw the Apple Health app also was introduced. And 
it was super cumbersome to like track your weight inside the Apple Health app. So I, I decided like, you know what, I'll just make a small app that only adds uh, your weight into the Apple Health app. And that's a nice little project yeah. to focus on. Uh, I get to deal with HealthKit, which is then I get to deal with an API. So I would learn some good things. And from there on, it, uh, I never stopped actually. So was that, that was your first app? Like, did you get that into the store? Yeah, uh, well, technically my second, because my first app was literally an Objective-C tutorial based, like a to-do list of obvious, obviously everyone starts with a to-do list. <laughs> oh, wow. And they let that they let that into the store? Yeah, yeah, because it was very minimalistic. And I did a little like pull, instead of pull to refresh, it has a pull to create a new item. No, no, I said it wrong. I did a pull to share your list. So I always used it to quickly jot That's down cool. my groceries and then pull to share it and then send it to uh, whoever needed that list. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, the this this weight tracking one is called Fact. It's still actually active in the App Store. So it's since 2017 or so. So it's like six years now almost, yeah. And were those were those like free? Were they paid up front? Like, what was your? Were you trying to make money, or were these like learning experience type things? Bit, bit of both, yeah. I guess. I like uh, experiment a bit. Like, how does it work when you charge money for it? How, how does it? Like, how do you get it on the market in general? Um, uh, I believe fact was paid up front most of the time. Now it's free with subscription. Um, as you know yourself, that's always fun to do. Oh yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> and um, the very first one was, I think, completely free. At this point, you're you're kind of making things for fun slash learning on the side, but you're also working at this agency doing primarily design. And at some point, you've transitioned to full time. How how did you make that happen? Yeah. So. Um, not only agency, but also I worked as a, a lead designer at a big uh, corporate company called uh, Lightspeed, uh, which is a point of sale system. Um, and I got to meet a lot of in-house developers, uh, but I really never liked the politics of a big company. Yeah. So I always was very attracted to, I've always felt like a maker myself. I just like to make things and, and experiment. So I... I, I decided to go back to where I started, and that's freelancing in design, because then at least I have the freedom to to plan my own time. So I could take on a project for a couple months and build a buffer, and then spend some proper time on on developing. Um, and I honestly, I just learned as I went, just uh, feature by feature, try to uh, uh, come up with new things to learn. Um, Pick up the Apple Watch really fast, of course, obviously. Now, <laughs> so you were freelancing, or you were freelancing through a company? Like you were able to take on projects and then take a break, kind of in between, to do your own thing. Yeah, I was freelancing self. Yeah. So was your was your goal initially, or at a certain point, to try and make your products pretty much the full time gig and not do the freelancing? Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I never thought I would be good enough uh, as a developer at that point. You know, like I always felt like I, I'm I'm a designer in disguise. <laughs> uh, sometimes I still feel like that, which is silly. But it just now I have a bit of an identity crisis. Am I a designer? Or am I a developer? I think I think that works in both directions. I think anybody trying to do the wear all the hats thing, they feel like they're whatever they started out as, and then they're faking it for everything else, even if they've. If if they were an engineer and they've been designing their own apps for ten years, uh, it still is like, yeah, but I'm an engineer. I don't know what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, and and now I I love the position where I'm at now. Like I love wearing the different hats. So uh, even the support, the customer support hat is fun sometimes too, because you really get to talk to your customers at that point. Especially like freelancing. Like I've I've worked consulting before and there's multiple layers between you and the person using the software you're making. And that can be really hard. And sometimes you feel like you're just like pulling for information, but you're you're doing a lot of guesswork. And then when you're at a product company, you're a lot more close. But then when you're doing an indie thing, it's like 
you know, you're receiving the love and the hate directly. <laughs> At the same time. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Often the exact same decision gives you both. Uh, but, but more than the extremes, like you just get to feel that um, appreciation for a, an idea or like a complete lack of care about something you thought would be a big deal. And all of those inputs are really valuable. Whereas that at a company, often everything feels like you get no feedback and you're like, do people hate this? Do people love this? Do people not care? I have no idea. Uh, so it's nice. It's really nice getting that feedback, I feel like. Oh, 100%. I love talking to uh, anyone that uses it. Well, it's also like it makes a number, it, it adds a face to a number, yeah. even, if, even if it's just an email address. It's like it adds a person behind the number. It's like the, the number of downloads is fun and all, but it's it's still so cool to hear from someone that's actually using something you've built, I think. And I, that's, that's, I think that's the magic I was referring to earlier as, that I always felt like as a designer. The idea is always stayed into static mockups uh, or maybe a prototype if, if, you, if you were cool enough to do that. Um, <laughs> but it's so much more uh, complete when, when it actually gets in the hand of, of someone, even if it's just uh, someone close to you, like your mom or your girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like I, I went on a vacation with some friends the other day and... Uh, when we were all putting our kids down, one of them was setting their kids up with their iPad and started playing dark noise. And they had like a specific, it's like, they're really close friends. Like it makes sense that they would use it, but there was yeah. like this, like, Oh, like that feels cool. Like these, it's actually, <laughs> I can see it like in real life, helping people. They weren't talking to me about it. Yeah. We weren't making a big deal. Yeah. Seeing it in the real world is, uh, is a really special feeling. Yeah. It's crazy. And yeah. like, I've said it before on the show, I think, but like, even getting bug reports sometimes is an incredibly validating feeling because it's like, oh, somebody cares. Because like, it's kind of a bad feeling yeah. when you find a bug yourself and you're like, this has been here for like four years. And nobody's ever mentioned it. And you're like, does that mean nobody's ever like used this part of my app before? Uh, so sometimes getting that yeah. even negative feedback is just a confirmation that real humans use and care about this stuff. Yeah, and honestly, also, if you think about it, like how many people would not consider contacting yeah. you as the developer, right? Like a lot of people won't take that effort to email the developer. They just either delete the app or just deal with, with the bug as it is and not think of mentioning it. So someone taking the effort to actually contacting you means already that they care enough about your product that they want to have something fixed, which is quite cool, I think. Yeah, definitely. During this period while you were doing both, what was your what was your strategy for making the indie thing work? Like I assume it's a similar deal to some other people we've had on where it's like you're trying to feather out the freelance work and into more the indie stuff. But how like what was your strategy yeah. for making the indie stuff uh bring enough income in to overtake that? Were you going for lots of apps or focusing in on a couple that were like doing well for you? I've actually quite an interesting thing for that because um, one of my bosses at my last job, um, he really liked, well, he really believed in what I could do. Um, and so he uh, he actually gave a little investment to give me a year runway to go completely uh, oh, nice. independent. Um, uh, so he, he gave me the opportunity to fully focus on building own apps. And the strategy was always... Um, and still is, I think, just build apps that do one thing really, really well um, and see whatever sticks and just try to keep believing in my own apps. And I think the, ma the main bit is still having fun, I think. And as, as long as you're having fun, you'll, you'll <laughs> I believe that at least, and you keep pushing the, the, the quality of your apps as well. And I think quality will always be picked up somehow. So when you're coming up with an idea for something, are is the is the first thought like this is interesting and cool and then the business thought comes later or before you really get going on an idea do you think through the business side of it as well no the best business always comes yeah. last i think <laughs> i'm laughing but like it's it's uh, I, I, yeah, that's a, yeah it's it so makes true. sense like I, I think different people come at things from different angles but uh you get different results yeah. right it's it's so funny i think um 
my approach is very similar to uh, Jordi's approach. Uh, Jordi has been on the show as well, uh, where I just mainly start with with a little experiment, a prototype, even if you could call it, like get something to work as fast as possible, and then uh, and then work from there and, and see where it goes. If I feel like after the first prototype it's actually fun to build on, then I continue to work, and if not, then I just drop it. It seems like you. At least watching you through, you know, Twitter or Macedon, it seems like you usually are pretty public about what you're building and talking through the process and everything like that. Do you does like the excitement level you get from people watching also kind of play into that? No, I think well, not necessarily. I just like sharing things because um, also we're having worked at a bigger corporation. It you can not share anything most of the time. Yeah. So now I feel like uh, I have the freedom to do whatever I want. So I'll share whatever I want <laughs> for most things at least. Um, so I think it, I like helping other people, like inspire other people maybe that have a bit more of a trouble designing things. Because um, yeah, like my background is still design and I feel like there's a lot of in the devs or developers in general that don't have that design eye just yet so i like just try to inspire like my ways of thinking and uh, make clear that how i think as a designer about certain things as well so yeah i also just love repolishing the details and i think if i'm <laughs> excited about it myself i just share love sharing that so you know and i guess in a somewhat similar vein uh we talked about this on the episode with yordi but uh you all have this kind of like crew in Amsterdam of of other indies and it's it almost feels it almost feels like a movie script again watching from afar where like somebody's like all right we need a you know we need the con man and then we need the driver and we need the like each of you feels like you have this different sort of skill that you're bringing to the table we actually uh, put a flashlight to the air and then say indies assemble and then <laughs> we <laughs> and then we start building apps yeah <laughs> oh man i mean that's what it feels like sometimes uh and so i don't remember if we talked about this on the already episode but uh you all actually did kind of a collaboration uh i guess a couple of months ago i can't keep track because there's so many apps i feel like you guys are all spitting yeah. out all the time um but the this like roadmap SPM package. Do you want to talk about that at all? How that came together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So at Antoine van der Ley and uh, Jordi and I were having a beer because every now and then uh, we we well we ate pizza and then a beer because we ate eat calzones. I don't know how that became a thing, <laughs> but <laughs> we said every now and then meet to eat a calzone, and uh, and then we were like, oh yeah, but I kind of want to have this public roadmap in our app, and I was like, oh that could be cool. And then so uh, we quickly drafted in a weekend. Uh, I think you already made the first prototype, and then Antoine cleaned up the code to be a bit more. Uh, uh, to be Swift package and stuff, and and then I put like a nice design layer uh, in the layout on top of it, and so w- that was the first collaboration we did, uh, but definitely not the last, I think. Yeah, you all seem like you you can each push each other in an interesting direction. Does that play into your individual apps as well? Um, yeah, I would I would think so. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think. Well, obviously, everyone knows that Jordi uh, makes an app every yeah. minute of, of his life, basically. And then uh, Antoine uh, ships slightly less often, but when he ships, it's always super, super stable and always uh, very performant because uh, he, well, he writes. Very, he's a very tech, good technical yeah. writer as well. And for me, uh, I think I take a bit longer than Jordi, but I always make sure I I spend a lot more time on like the nitpicking design details of as little animations and stuff like that. Uh, so I think we all are, and then we have Niels as well. He was, he was brilliant at uh, like ASO and stuff. Uh, so uh, more of the business side of things. He's, he's the strong suit, I would say. So we always help each other out, giving each other feedback on that on all different ends and i think that's a very powerful and very healthy way of working together because we push each other but not in like hey if you, you need to ship now or anything but more like uh, motivate each other for all our wins and, and go for it yeah yeah that's awesome so i guess getting back to your your business of this sort of plethora of apps how does the mix of that kind of work out as far as financially like is 
is your primary um, way of continuing to grow the business making new apps, or you also have a couple sort of marquee apps that you focus on that are also bringing stuff like a stable income in? Good question. I think I will always continue create new apps. Um, it's in your bones. I don't know if you can avoid it, even if <laughs> I can't avoid it. No, definitely. It's like uh, it's like David Smith. He made like accidentally, not accidentally, but landed on like the most popular <laughs> app in the world, and yet he still can't help himself uh, continuing to push, you know, his other apps and stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So I think it's very similar. Like, not all my apps bring in uh, enough money to to maintain this. So that's why I kept doing some consultancy things. But now it, uh, well, the success of PT. Uh, it, it it gives a big runway, so I, it, I just hope that, uh, I, of course, I will keep developing on PT as, as much as I can and make it as good as possible. Um, but in, in the long run, I will just keep building apps and, and hope uh, that some of them grow into a more sustainable business. Uh, because I think most of my apps are apps that are needing a quite niche and need some time to grow in the market. Um, well, PD is is more of uh well, it's a bigger trend at the yeah. moment, so it it connects to a lot more people right now, uh, so it's an easier shell for for the minute. But uh, I do believe on the long term that my all all my apps together will bring enough easily to to be sustainable for me to live on. Nice. So let's go ahead and get into PD then. Let's just like start with the idea itself. Like, where did it come from and how did you end up building it? It's uh, it's quite a funny story. Um, I actually built the very first version uh, in a day, uh, um, and this is not of like, hey, this app is super easy to make. But it was a bit of a all things came together because I built a lot of different watchOS apps. Um, I even talk a lot about watchOS at conferences nowadays, and um, I already had worked with the OpenAI API on, on my goal tracking app, yeah. uh, Gola. So uh, in Gola, you could uh, ask AI for advice to how you can achieve your bigger goal, uh, one of your bigger goals. And uh, so I already ex- had experience on those ends. And then I think I had a working version on, on, on the Apple Watch within three or four hours. Uh, and then I spent the rest of the day <laughs> drawing different eyes and different robots <laughs> to go with it, really. <laughs> That's a fun day. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so then I, I just uh, submitted it as fast as possible uh, to the app store. Um, I remember um, my girlfriend's mom was over from visiting from England and uh, I was working on this and, and my girlfriend was already being annoyed like why are you working on this while my mother is here <laughs> and like I don't know I just need to get it out of here I'll get, get it out in the app store it will be finished in a bit <laughs> there's certainly a feeling of anything with the open AI or any of these GPT or what is, is it transformer based models whatever this moment that we're in it all feels yeah. like it's it's like a gold rush if a gold rush is like a f- you know two week period where there's just a volcano erupting in a spot and everybody like jumps on it yeah. and then it, you don't know where it's going to erupt again in the future like it just keeps kind of popping up in different areas and so i get that feeling of like you see a hole in a spot that's really hot right now yeah. and speed is kind of a big part of that it was a big part. And also, there was nothing there on Apple Watch. There were already, I think, three different clients on iOS, but nothing on Apple Watch because people tend to forget about building for Apple Watch. Or they have built and they they will never forget about building and they'll never do it again. Uh, yeah, it like. yeah. <laughs> they built too soon, yeah. <laughs> In the early days, for sure. Um, and I, it happened, I think, as, I don't think, Apple Watch is uh, my favorite platform to build for still. Um, mainly because of its small factor. And so I was like, this is so nice to have on your wrist. And I already immediately figured out, like, because I was th- th- thinking about pricing-wise, because, of course, the usage of the API, it costs money as, as the developer. Um, like, you pay per token. And 
And then I was thinking, like, on Apple Watch, I can get away with it by making it just a paid app for, like, $5. Because the thing is, you don't use your Apple Watch for, like, uh, for 15 minutes after another. You just ask one or two questions, and then... It's not as heavy usage. No, you, you literally ask two qu- questions max, and then you go on with your life. Um, <clears throat> so before someone to hit the $5 mark, we would, it would... I honestly then I only have respect for you if you had that mark on just Apple Watch um, because I know you have very you have a good support for your elbow or you have a- yeah <laughs> well I guess the fear though is like if they're using it for years or if OpenAI changes their pricing which so far they've only changed their pricing in the going down range but theoretically that could change so that I guess that like how would you handle that if suddenly you have a big user base that's costing more money than they ever paid for it yeah no that that's a risk i was willing to take because uh again it is still a trend and i think it is a nice gimmick to have but um uh on the long run i i think it should be fine it's 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 a risk of the business i think well i guess before we get into the iphone kind of update version how how did that launch itself go then Oh yeah, it was <laughs> it was great. But um, so the thing is with uh, launching a watch watchOS only app is um, you run into some interesting problems uh, to to begin with. Uh, first, first of all, first it was rejected because um, there was no app icon for for iOS side because every watchOS only app has a little stop iOS stop. I think that's just only for the App Store really. Yeah. Um, to make it show up in the App Store. Um, and that's basically just an almost empty info.plist and, and an app icon. Um, but I didn't add the app icon. I didn't check up uh, uh, the app icon on the iOS target. So uh, that was the first rejection. Then I got approved as... Uh, Back then, it was still called Watch GPT. Actually, ah. uh, I almost forgot, but I, uh, originally it's called Watch GPT, and it was like a miracle that it got accepted because after that, uh, the App Store review team like doubled down on uh, rejecting every single app that had GPT in yeah. the app. Yeah, so I, I was lucky there for sure. Um, also, uh, I, after that uh, initial launch, I had to change my name as SPD. Um, because because it, updates got rejected all the time. <laughs> they were rejecting it because of the name, or the name was causing them to look more closely at everything else. No, because GPT in the name, literally. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, because it's trademarked. So okay, uh, somehow OpenAI trademarked GPT, and that's why uh, you can't use it in your name also. <laughs> but that was interesting because I already had some press going on as well, uh, because it was uh, re- launched as yeah. the first watch OS only uh, GPT app, and then I had to write them all like, uh, actually, now it's called <laughs> PT. <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would be frustrating after the release. Yeah, yeah. But it was also another incentive for some uh, bigger websites that didn't write about it yet to actually write about it more because, hey, F-Store rejects their, rejecting everything with GPT is also newsworthy. Find the narrative and like hit that, yeah. Then the the issue started with, I the, I should have known this better. I should have catched it before because I have launched a WatchOS only app before. Uh was a little toothbrush timer called Brush. Mm. Um but the thing is, when you launch a watchOS only app today, then after purchasing it, um, the, the the download button becomes uh, a disabled purchased button. It's just says purchased. Um, but if the user doesn't have like auto download on for their Apple Watch, uh, they think they have been scammed because they can't find your uh, your app. So. You have to redirect them to the App Store on the Apple Watch uh, to re-download the app. And I think most people don't even know there's an App Store on the Apple Watch at, the, at this point. How can you read? You can only redirect them if you have an iOS app, though, right? So, so yeah. So you have to, everyone that said like, "Hey, I don't. I bought your app, but I can't find it anywhere." 
then I said, I have to tell them, okay, you have to open the App Store on your Apple Watch and then uh, either look for PD or scroll down to purchase and re-download yeah, it from there. Yeah, that's great. Because there was no, <laughs> there was no re-download button uh, in, the, in the App Store on the iPhone. So I got a lot of one-star reviews saying, I've been scammed. I uh, bought this app and I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's really frustrating. So, so is there? Yeah, luckily there are some that leave a review that I, I can at least respond to those. Right. But there's I, there must be tens of dozens that that just left a one star review because of that. Is there anything you can do to to help with that? Um, have an iOS counterpart app. I guess yeah, that's basically the answer. Is don't have to deal with it even if it says uh, uh the, the only yeah, way to exactly. win is not even play if the or something. app only shows like <laughs> yeah <laughs> even if the app uh, ios app only says uh, it's only available on apple watch <laughs> that's already worth it honestly because then <laughs> um, but i'm sure well would they let you release an ios app that literally only was a message that said hey this is an Apple Watch app. If you don't have automatic downloads, you need to do this number of steps. Like, would they even allow that? But it feels like they need to because this is their system. Like, it's <laughs> a good question. Yeah, I've I've not tried it yet, but uh, I'm pretty sure they'll they'll fix this at some point. I uh, I've heard about some others that had the same problem, and uh, we all have some feedback notes to Apple. So, yeah, if they want standalone Apple Watch apps to be a thing. They kind of have to make that happen, right? This episode of Launched is brought to you by RevenueCat. RevenueCat makes in-app subscriptions simple. Their platform lets you focus on improving your app rather than getting bogged down in subscription infrastructure. RevenueCat provides a backend and wrapper around Apple's StoreKit and Google Play billing to simplify the implementation and upkeep of an in-app purchase. RevenueCat provides out-of-the-box analytics for over 15 key subscription metrics, like monthly recurring revenue, lifetime value, retention, and more. RevenueCat also offers pre-built integrations with best-in-class tools like Amplitude, AppsFlyer, MixPanel, and Firebase, so you can connect in-app purchase events in minutes in a couple of clicks. Customers have been able to cut down on their engineering backlog, better understand customer behavior, and grow faster by switching to RevenueCat. See why companies like Notion, Visco, and PhotoRoom use RevenueCat to power in-app subscriptions. Learn more at RevenueCat.com. And thank you to RevenueCat for supporting this episode of Launched. Eventually, though, you did end up making an iOS app. So both why did you do that? And then what was the process like? Because when you originally talked to me about this, you said, I have some interesting stories about bringing a watch app to iOS. So I'm I'm prepared for uh, you know hearing about some pain. Yeah, so so the, the App Store problems didn't stop there. <laughs> <laughs> that could just be the name of the show or the subtitle to the show. I feel like sometimes. Um, no, well, first, I honestly, really fast, it became the number one requested feature for PT for WatchOS to be also available on the iPhone side of things, uh, which makes sense because it's just easier to use uh, to chat with a robot if you're on your phone instead of uh, from your wrist. Um, so first of all, I announced uh, that I was planning to, to launch it. Um, that got picked up by 9to5Mac somehow, and then... You announcing that you were going to launch it? Yeah. Whoa. So my announce... I, I never had a beta announcement to be newsworthy. Yeah, holy cow. So then my uh, my sign-up... Uh, you could sign up for beta, and then that one exploded. So that within no time, I had like uh, 2,000 uh, people signing up for the beta. And then, honestly, the first version, just adding... Uh, the iOS target, I had to almost start a new project because the if you create a watchOS only project, you uh, you get the iOS stuff, but you can't convert that to an iOS app. Oh. So basically what I had to do was create a new project and move everything over to the new project. Yeah. That was interesting. And um, then I run uh, PD the watchOS version on iOS, basically just adding everything to iOS. Uh, and it actually was already kind of working because uh, it's all Swift UI. So the proof of concept was already there within just a few checkboxes. So it was really cool to see the actual magic. 
write once, run anywhere, just check the box, right? <laughs> yeah. So it was actually, it actually, I mean, honestly, I could probably have shipped it, but I, I have some higher <laughs> standards uh, that I wanted to do. So it, I mean, it was working, but I, you want to take advantage of the platform that you're on precisely. So, um, but it was cool. It was the first time where I actually saw, felt the magic of Swift yeah. UI actually working on multiple platforms same time so i slow slowly opened up the beta uh, and then every time i've sent an email to uh, let another 100 or 150 people in the beta because i didn't want to let all 2000 people in the beta because it actually cost me money if people use it did you have like a, a like a sign up or something where people could get on a wait list yeah yeah on, on the website okay what do you use for that out of curiosity i used go go squared for for that Go squared. Go squared. Oh, I've not heard of that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's it's a very old British uh, analytics company. It's very good still. Uh, I mean, if you if you look at their product, sometimes it feels a bit like going back to the early days. Um, as but uh, they've been updating lately, but still. Um, uh, I've been helping them uh, in the past, uh, designing icons for them. So I knew uh, I knew them well, and I knew their product well, and I knew they had an easy to use uh, sign up form. Well, so, cool. um, yeah, it's really a really easy to use product actually, and uh, a bit more private, uh, private friendly than than, for example, I don't know Google, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, Do you use that? So now you have you have a list of people who you can email. Do you use that for marketing pushes and stuff too? Like when you have a major new release or a new app or something? I'm planning on to, yeah. Because normally I don't care too much about emails from users. Uh, but I felt like this product was so popular already. I kind of need to. Yeah. Um, and it's a nice, it's a nice uh, way to, to stay in touch with all my users for bigger updates indeed. And honestly, I've never had a beta like this before because every time i opened up another 150 slots or so it was gone within nine seconds yeah that's crazy it's like it was it was it was like ivory dead bots level of of filling up slots you know that's awesome <laughs> well that's i mean i feel like that type of beta feedback is so valuable too it was at a smaller scale i got a taste of that with dark noise because at the beginning of the pandemic i was just like you know what i'm just going to open all my slots and say anybody can download my test flight beta for free and then like nine to five and some people yeah. wrote about it and so i filled up like all ten thousand slots now that it wasn't ten thousand active users right like a lot of people a, a year or two later i had to go through and just wipe out you know thousands of people that like joined but never even downloaded the first version um but right. since then it's like i could close it down but i like especially with like this big update i just had with the subscription flow i liked that i have you know hundreds of people that i can test against some you know if one percent of those people give me feedback then the bigger the group the more likely i am to get that person that will actually tell me when something doesn't work doesn't work so yeah and and as a bonus you you create a little bit you create fans yeah. you know because they feel more connected with your product as they give feedback they felt like they added to the product which they do um but it makes you uh your relationship with with the product a lot stronger so them uh oh yeah advising it to their friends and family is a lot that chance is a lot bigger when they actually gave feedback on it so yeah i i think i've mentioned it here before but i've leaned i leaned into that sort of accidentally but I think it paid off where like uh, if somebody gives me an idea and I implement it in the test flight in the like test flight notes, I'll call out like, thanks, you know, Jeff or whatever um, as a like, yeah, like this was you that brought this to life. Yeah. And I've heard back from some people that are like, oh, my gosh, like I'm in the show or in the release notes. And I'm like, I get that feeling, too, where, you know, if I give somebody feedback and you actually see it come to life. It feels like you now feel like there's a little part of you inside of that app and it feels yeah. so much more yeah. personal in a, I don't know, interesting way. So yeah, I, I like that. It was a strong beta for sure. 
and then at some point I I said sorry I don't let any more people into the launch uh, unless you have your own API key you want to use yeah. uh, because I also really wanted to test that part and also that w wouldn't cost me money. So let's say that's the difference is your every Tesla beta user that's actually using your app is literally costing you money. Yeah, exactly. So, and then I got a lot of people actually responding like, "Hey, I'm happy to use my own API key." Uh, uh, so I let them in for sure. So that it was fun. It was a fun experience. That's cool. So, okay. So the iOS app, you're making it because lots of people are requesting it. Actually, um, there was more because not only was it the most request feature, but it also um, I ran into some limitations from watchOS. Uh, for example, I wanted to replace Siri with, uh, with with PD, so you can actually ask Siri to use and then use PD to chat, yeah. to connect to ChatGPT. But uh, with the new app intents, it's fairly easy to do. Um, but um, to get those shortcuts to run on watchOS, for example, you do need to feed the shortcuts app through an iPhone. Oh, app. interesting. So I needed, yeah. So I needed to do that. Um, there were there were a couple of people that requested to for PT to show up in screen time. Um, I don't necessarily know why, but they wanted to have it shown up. But for that, you also needed a iOS app. Interesting. Even if they're using it on the watch, it will show up on screen time, but only if there's a companion iOS app. Exactly. Yeah, there's some of those things that, that where you need like um, an iOS thing. And and then one, one of them was also, um, so you could, after you got a response from PD on, on the Apple Watch, you could uh, share it. So you could email it or message it uh, to, to someone else or to yourself if you want to use it somewhere. Um, but that's also the the new. It came with the new share link they introduced last year at WWDC. Uh, um, but on the watchOS, it's still limited to only iMessage and email. Um, so they a lot of people wanted more ways to use uh, the response yeah. of PD. So with an iOS app, you could use the old Watch Connectivity Kit and then send it to uh, to your phone, and then on the phone you just put it to the to the pasteboard or whatever. Right. Um, so there were some other things like it. It would also enable a lot of new features for for PD on WatchOS by adding an iOS side of things. So it was a win-win, really. Nice. So how did that launch itself go then for that update? Was it sort of its own launch? Yeah. Yeah. Like so, PD for WatchOS was a massive success launch wise it got picked up nearly everywhere even uh john gruber uh, was a fan and is still an active beta tester so that's quite yeah, fun yeah that's that's a good um, one yeah he also gave great feedback to be fair and um so when i launched the ios app um there was a lot of hype created around it and then i got a few more articles but then also the second this is app store uh, episode two, return of the, <laughs> the problems. <laughs> the, for existing users, um, the the button, the download button, would still say purchased and be grayed out, like slash disabled, as it was before. So this is people who bought the app on their phone when it was still a watchOS only app, and then you pushed an update out that yeah. had the phone. But those people that bought that original one, when they opened up the App Store on their phone, there was no way to download it to their phone? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, <laughs> and apparently it was a little caching issue in the App Store, probably. Um, and it happened to... Oh, so it was temporary? So, well, I, I think it's solved now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm not 100% sure. Well, it was only uh, it was only for existing uh, users, so not for people that hadn't downloaded the app yet. Um, but I accidentally found a workaround. Uh, some of my beta testers actually uh, shared with me that, like, hey, there's actually workarounds. Uh, that I accidentally found this workaround for you. Uh, because in the last email, when I uh, said to my beta testers, like, it's available now on the App Store, um, as a thank you, I gave them, like, a, a, a discount offer. So uh, one of the subscription discount yeah. offers, because for iOS comes with an optional subscription. Um, and then in the offer sheet, uh, which is presented when you press that uh, link, 
there the download button would actually show up. So, <laughs> so you got a support uh, email that was saying that somebody had this problem. You could generate a promo code that it could even be a discount that was hardly yeah. anything, but it would at least give them a download button. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So what I did. <laughs> so what I did. I the same uh, offer because it was like um, four ninety nine for the first six months instead of uh, six ninety nine, um, and it was only needed for existing users. So I'm like, okay, fair enough. I'm happy to give this discount to everyone that supported me in the in uh, early early days. I'm talking about a month yeah. ago. <laughs> early days. All of the you've been with me through um, all of these days. <laughs> yeah, through all of these days. <laughs> Um, so I would just send them this the same link and and like uh, that link would be um, accepted for anyone f for twenty five thousand times at least. So I was like, okay, at least I have a workaround for people that really yeah. want it. And I think uh, it was a little bit of a pro and a con ish because the con obviously it gave me a lot more support sure. emails of people saying, hey, I want to use the iOS site, but I can't download it. Also, more one-star reviews. Yeah, because <laughs> that happens. Um, but uh, as a benefit from it, I, even though I clearly say it's like you don't need to use the actual offer; it's just about the download button to show up. Uh, I saw a lot of people actually subscribing with the offer as well because they they just wanted to support the project or whatnot. So, and like we talked about, it gives that human connection, right? Like you're a person now. Yeah, that's cool. That was nice, but also I feel like next time I probably will silently launch it a week before. <laughs> I may over-obsess on that, but I definitely am the type of person who... Uh, I like getting it into the store and testing in any way I can while it's in the store, if possible, because everything about... The, I, well, yeah. you also have a lot more experience shipping new things. And so, you know, all of that feeds into your confidence level. Whereas it's pretty rare that I ship a brand new, you know, app in the store. And so, uh, those are always very stressful events. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I think, uh, you can, uh, I, I tweeted about this the other day as I saying, like, I, I'm really wondering how much money Apple makes off of developers in the sense of, I always test my own subscriptions yeah. as soon as it's live. Like, in a person, I just don't trust the sandbox environment, so I, I'm subscribed to all my apps and I pay for all my apps just to make sure it keeps working. Yep. <laughs> yes, I definitely do that as well, and have different random friends who probably wouldn't actually subscribe to my app that you know they're testing for me, and so they end up doing it. So yeah, it's it's a whole like you know uh, sliver of Apple Store revenue probably. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want to see the percentage of that. <laughs> so I want to talk about the the sort of business model thing for the iOS app then. So you mentioned it, but on the iOS app, there's a separate subscription. So like you have a paid upfront app that you can download and then that will give it mm -hmm. to you on the watch. And then on the phone, if you want to use it on the phone, you have to upgrade to a subscription. I'm guessing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that the reason for that is what you talked about earlier, usage is going to be way higher on the phone and the, the actual economy uh, or the, the business logistics would not work out. You'd lose money on people pretty quickly if you didn't. But I'm curious, one, how you approach that? Because I, I assume it's sort of delicate. And then also, how has that been received? Have you gotten a lot of people that were upset because they're sort of having that second layer behind uh, the subscription? Yeah, yeah, good question. It's um, it's something I've been, I don't know, like wrapping my head around for quite a bit because I also couldn't really change the business model because the yeah, then I would change had to change the WatchOS app to be somewhat of an in-app purchase yeah. or something, and then I just thought like, okay, you know what, I'm gonna keep this app to be four ninety nine. I'm gonna try to um, make it as clear as I can that an additional subscription or your own API key, that's what, that's a cheaper option, um, is required uh, to use a PD on, on iOS. How, how have you been making that clear? Like, is it through the description on the App Store? 
Yeah, it's on the promotional uh, uh, part, I think. In the, so the top text. Of course, not everyone will read sure. it. Um, and I make super clear, like you can use your own API key, and I try to help as much as possible that you it's uh, to use that cheapest option because. Fair enough. If you use your own API key, it also doesn't cost me yeah, exactly. any money. So uh, I don't care about that. I just at least I want uh, they are still paying customer for my effort of making this app as nice as possible. And it also adds up to the value of, of the app being a more of a premium app. I don't. I like to think that PD is the premium uh, ChatGPT client on the App Store, and I, I like to try to focus that. I I will always aim to to the to my highest normal of quality, and I just feel like uh, 4.99 is still the price of of a cup of coffee, uh, maybe a bit bigger cup of coffee. But <laughs> I think that's it. Communicates like your own worth as well, you know. So it, the subscription comes with a free trial. The free trial is included with the with the with the paid upfront price, basically. That makes sense. How's how has that been received then? Uh, fairly well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's there's some people comparing, sure. and uh, but uh, no no more than usual, I would say. And I'm very glad to to have seen that. And I still see people recommend PD to others as well uh, as like, hey, this is still this is the nicest one and uh, even though the price is still fairly high because because 90% of the chat GPT clients on the app store today are free and then uh, you need a subscription yeah. or your own API key but you know it also filters out um, some type of users as well so it, in a way with all due respect to everyone of course but honestly yeah like that was a that was a big thing with having a paid up front app myself for a long time is like you are not going to get any reviews from somebody who hasn't paid anything. And that on your reviews itself, that is a like powerful filter because it's, it's amazing how many people will now that I have, you know, it's free uh, with an in-app purchaser subscription, mm -hmm. the amount of people that will download the app and then give a one-star review to say, this is not worth it. It's like, they're not saying the app is bad. Yeah. They're not, they don't have, they're just like, it's too expensive. This isn't worth it. And it's like, Okay, like I mean, I understand that's a valid feeling, but also you went through a lot of effort to say that this isn't worth it. Like you could see all of that from the get go. It's not like uh, you know I tricked you into downloading it or something. I wonder if those are the same people that would return the coffee at at uh, Starbucks, saying there's too much milk in my yeah. coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but that's at least the product being the problem. It's more like you buy a coffee and then you yeah. take a sip out of it yeah, and you true. go, "This isn't worth five dollars," and you hand it back. Like, yeah, you knew that up front. Yeah, yeah you finished the coffee. Finish the coffee. Finish. Which, to be to be fair, I I have a tendency to sometimes maybe uh you know make fun of of users. Sometimes it's like the app store doesn't do us any favors because it it isn't the most clear that it's it's hard to let somebody know before they download it what you're getting for free and what you're not. Uh, and so I do think people will download yeah. it like, oh, this is a free app, and the app store makes it it just get you know, yeah. and then you get in there and then you're thrown off by the fact that it costs money. And, and in that case, then you're angry and it's easy to set, write a review. So that probably is the real story for what people are doing. But it's still, it still is frustrating. And the nice thing about a paid upfront app is they've already decided I'm willing to pay money for this thing. And every review yeah. you get is somebody who's made that choice, which is that is kind of a powerful thing. It is great. And uh, have you tried doing those in-app purchase promotion things like on the App Store? Not yet. I, I plan on, I have a long list of things I want to try, but I'm doing my best to not obsess too much over stats. I'm letting everything like level out so that then I can experiment with things because I can't experiment with things yet. I feel like those really actually help uh, bring across that there's a subscription that in there as well. Because, because then it, they're quite visual and, and I think they even show up on the top for some of your visitors um i'm not sure if it's new visitors or, or existing i think existing users they show on the top um but i think that already makes it a lot more clear like hey there is a subscription uh, compared to that little uh, in-app purchases yeah, uh, no that makes sense it's like a visual clarity that you know there is there is yeah. purchases behind this somewhere uh, more than just the little gray in-app purchase thing Plus, they can show up in search results too, which is another extra bonus. 
iOS version's been out for what, like a week or two at this point? Uh, no, one, one week. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so are things starting to to sort of settle down? Or are you getting a feel for what this is going to kind of look like, at least in the medium short term, uh, as far as the business goes? Or do you have more big, big change plans kind of coming? Well, I, it, it has been flattened down uh, quite a bit, but uh, if it stays like this, I'm, I'm more than happy, really. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see next month when the recurring yeah. revenue starts to come in. Um, that's going to be interesting, but, uh, so far it has like, cause I launched the first PD in the first week of March and then now a month later, iOS version. Maybe I'll launch next month. I'll launch the iPad version. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> TV, TV OS. Uh, one PD a month. One PD, PD a month. There you month. go. <laughs> Apple needs to get that headset, uh, uh, headset um, out soon. So you can add that to the list. Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. Mac OS, TV OS, and, and uh, yeah, okay, maybe. <laughs> CarPlay, obviously. Actually, CarPlay would be kind of interesting, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, we can already do that with shortcuts. Oh, so. yeah, that's true. Interesting. And on HomePod as well. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I need to improve my shortcuts a little bit because now we can only ask one question and that's it. But I want to do a more continuous conversation there as well. Um, so there's plenty of uh, things like that. Have you, uh, and we can cut this if this is weirdly specific, but have you seen uh, Federico Vitici's uh, insane, what is it called, SGPT, the, his shortcut that's working with this. Yeah. Have you looked at that and been like, "Ooh, there's some more integrations I could pull in as an app itself"? Um, no, not really. I think I, I think what I really try to do is uh, use the more enriched uh, um, experience. So what I want want to aim for. One of the first things I did is use those rich link preview uh, views for if there's any link being uh, uh, presented in the answer mm. from ChatGP, I show like a nice card yeah. uh, of the website with, with OG image and stuff. So things like that I could present in if you ask through a shortcut as well by providing a custom answer uh, shortcut. And I think currently I really try to focus with PT2 use the power of of native environments to bring the best experience so one example is that's already available now is if the answer takes too long because you're using gpt4 for example um you can just go outside of your app and it will uh pd will live in your dynamic island or on your lock screen as uh, as a live activity saying thinking as soon as the answer is there you get a little check mark or you get a snippet of of the answer already on your lock screen so you don't have to wait inside that's cool i like that i actually i noticed that on is that on the watch too with the with your complication uh no i do it started like for the watch, I had to uh, bring in like background URL session support anyway, because your watch goes into inactive way yeah. faster than your iPhone does. So I already, when I was building iOS app, I was like, oh, I already have this in place. Um, when you use and ask for a big query in GPT-4, it can take quite a long time because GPT-4 is a lot slower, yeah. like a lot slower. Um, so I was like, it would make perfect sense to have to just be able to do other things while you wait for it because then you don't otherwise you stare at the screen and that's really boring that's a really interesting use case of the dynamic island that i don't know that i've seen before but i really like because i i definitely have like on the web like on a you know in a browser on on desktop you feel this like safety with switching tabs so if something's taking a while you can switch tabs and you don't feel you feel like that thing is just over there doing yeah. its thing, right? Whereas on iOS, there's definitely a feeling of like, if I leave this long yeah. process, am I going to mess this up? And like, there's some exceptions like downloads generally now I can trust, but even then sometimes I'll like leave it on that screen because I'm yeah. afraid. I really like it. still feels weird. Yeah. It's, well, it's because we all know, and maybe this is a developer problem mm -hmm. and normal people don't do this, but <laughs> maybe, but yeah. we all know like, I don't know. I think I think this is a learned behavior by the OS. Like when I open an app that's in the background, it might refresh itself. Like that's a common thing. Sometimes 
I'm in the middle of a flow. Like if I'm ordering movie tickets from an unnamed movie ticket website or app, if I'm in the middle of ordering a ticket and then I switch over to, you know, my messages app to like double check with a friend that these tick seats are okay. And I go back, it'll start the whole flow over. So the idea of putting, throwing something in the dynamic Island to be like, Hey, I'm still here and I'm doing work for you. I'm still here. That's a really yeah. interesting use case. And I like the lock screen as well. So I think downloads would be another cool case for that. Like just yeah. a little, you know, tracking uh, circle or something. Maybe there's apps that do that, but I, I really like that idea. Oh, it's a free, a free yeah. idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was good. Uh, um, I mean, I tried it out and I got a working version quite fast, and then I just had to polish it, really. And of course, it, it, a request can still time out because it takes too long, but um, most situations it's fine. And also, officially, GPT-4 is not available on PT for iOS just yet, unless your own API key um, supports it. So um because i first want to wanted to see what the actual usage is on ios in regards of tokens right. so to decide on a price point for G gpt4 um because it is like 20 times as expensive oh as, as gpt3 i i wanted to make sure it's sustainable yeah, seriously. So, but it's now it's just the number one requested feature of course, of course to get the <laughs> premium people want to pay more <laughs> Is there anything else with PD that you'd like to cover? No, I think this is, uh, to quote Star Wars, this is where the fun begins, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I have some fun ideas. And like I said, I just want PD to feel as native as possible continuously yeah. and, and really empower native uh, tools that a shortcut can't do. And the shortcut is one of, of the byproducts of PD. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you the question I ask everybody to, to wrap the show up, which is, uh, what's a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend others check out? Okay, well, for, of course, all my my indie dev crew from Amsterdam that have been mentioned in the show now the, plenty of times. Um, but I, if I look back, I think uh, Mike Matas is one of the first persons that really inspired me to get into design. Which he is the original designer of uh, the Photos app for iPad and. Uh, he is as he was also the designer of like Facebook paper and always has been very uh, on top of things, uh, it, like very unique in design. Um, but then also Jasper Hauser uh, from Darkroom. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he's the designer from Darkroom. Uh, he's always has been sort of my uh, my mentor in a way. Like in my early design career, he tried to get me at Facebook. And then we always say it in Dutch, and of course him with the guys at Sofa uh, in the early days as well were just way ahead of everything. Um, and he's now he's a good friend of mine, so I I, I talk to him uh, every wow, week yeah, or that's month awesome. for sure. Um, so I think he has been uh, an inspiration slash mentor in my whole career uh, from a design slash product point of view. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I have to mention Jordi as well, because Jordi and I are literally just, uh, we're partnering up every week to have coffee every week, and we we shoot back and forth ideas, and we inspire each other, I think, most of the time to push an, another boundary. So I think those those three, and well, there's plenty of more people, but you got to cut some. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. No, those are good. That's awesome. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you and your apps? On uh, Twitter, I'm at HiddeVDPlug. <laughs> uh, probably link in the show yeah. notes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and then uh, on Mastodon, I'm on uh, Mastodon.design and then at Hidde. So that's hidden without the end. Uh, that's easier. <laughs> uh, and then my apps, uh, I've published them um, all on, uh, on my company name which is modem m-o-d-u-m um hq.com uh you'll find all my six apps there are there six now i, think, uh, yeah, I just six. have open <laughs> i feel like when there's more than two i'm like oh my gosh that's so much uh relative to me so <laughs> yeah but yeah i had to scroll i know that <laughs>
<laughs> and uh, I don't know when this is uh, being uh, published, but maybe it will be twelve by that time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this one, this one's gonna have hopefully quick turnaround. In fact, there's a chance that this will be this will be a little bit later. I've I've been surprisingly, to me anyway, consistent on releasing at like almost the exact same time on Tuesdays. But this one, there was a little bit of not because of you. Actually, you were extremely accommodating, and uh, we put this one together pretty quick. We are going to do this later. Yeah. But I had some scheduling moving around, and so uh, there's a chance this one will be out a little late. But probably no one except for me will will care. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> awesome. And then uh, I guess, I guess like uh, before before I cut this off too, um, I for my uh for the launched patreon so far it's been going and there's there's people that are members uh which i really appreciate and the main thing there is that you get an ad free version of the show um but i did push out last well i guess a couple days ago now a episode that's actually technically free so anybody can listen to it um but it's kind of a launched diary thing of me launching dark noise i just recorded uh literally myself talking as i went through each step of of launching it um i think it's interesting i mostly stole the idea from underscore david smith uh he did that with workouts plus plus a couple years ago and i thought it was it was cool and so i made that and then i chickened out and didn't make it completely only patron members uh can get it but it's not going to show up in the normal feed so if you want to listen to that you got to go over to the patreon and maybe maybe some of you uh will feel like it's kind and you want to support the show and and you'll become uh, members too so go check that out there'll be a link in the show notes for that as well thanks for listening this episode was edited by jonathan ruiz if you'd like to discuss the show you can find me on twitter at underscore chucky c or tweet the show directly at launched fm i'd really appreciate a rating or review in your podcast app of choice and you can find show notes and more at launchedfm.com. <laughs>